Good morning, guys. I'm Josh. Parker. I'm one of the pastors here at Oxford Vineyard, and I'm happy to see you guys. We are starting a new series today, kicking off a new series. It's going to be a nine-part series. Sounds kind of long, but it's going to be good. It's going to be great. It's going to be titled. It's titled "Walking with the Spirit." So let me just take a little bit of time to introduce what what it's all about. So the first half of this series, the message series, is going to be like focused kind of on the theology of walking with the Spirit. We'll look at scriptures, um, not on, how scripture not only frames the idea that that we are made to walk with the Spirit, that we're, made, we're supposed to walk with the Spirit, but it emphasizes that, that it's, it's central to our lives. We're, we're, it's, it's so important that every day we wake up and we commune with the Holy Spirit. Look how, how, how humanity was, is and was made for partnering with God. And so we'll look at how each one of us, as born-again believers, whether we know it or not, are created for that deep friendship with the Holy Spirit every day of our lives. The second half of the message series is going to focus more on the practical, the how-tos of, of developing and cultivating and, and doing this thing of walking with the Holy Spirit every day. So why are we focusing on this? Well, the biggest reason um, is that we are a church with a mission. I don't know if you knew that, but we are a church with a mission. And the mission that God has called us to, um, it's, we want to step into it more actively. We've been talking about this as a team and what this looks like and and it's really important. And part of this mission is, is discipling passionate lovers of Jesus who walk daily in the power, presence, and love of the Holy Spirit. That's part of this mission. And so we want to we do that more. We want to disciple more in that. And I know that's my heart. That's John's heart, Kim's heart, Parker's heart, Lynn's heart, and all of our leadership team to, to do this more. And, and not just for you guys, but we want you to do that for us. Like, this is two-sided, okay? We need you to come and encourage us. We need you to teach us and, and walk alongside us in, in being passionate lovers of Jesus, walking with the Holy Spirit. In the series, a core theme, again, is partnership. And God designed humanity to be his partners on the earth. It's something that, there's something that I'm trying to get in the habit of removing from my vocabulary is a phrase that God uses us, or uses me, or uses you. I'm trying to remove that from my vocabulary, because if you think about it, have you ever been used by somebody? Like, that, that doesn't feel good, right? Like, that's a violation of, of you, of who we are. And so God doesn't use us. That's not who he is. He doesn't violate us. He's inviting us into partnership, into friendship. And so I encourage you to, you know, try to remove the phrase, God is using me, from your vocabulary as well, and instead get a new understanding of what God wants, what he desires with you. I'll explain more of that in a little bit, but I want to say this. I believe as a church, you know, as a whole here, God is inviting us into more, and, and each one of us, and, and as a whole, I think that we do partner with God for sure. And there may be people here that have been partnering with God for, for many years of their lives, but I think that there's more in store for us. There's more that God has for us. And so that's, that's amazing. And so let me just pray as, as I get into this um, before I go further. So Father, we just thank you for today. I, ask that, I thank you for your presence here this morning. I thank you that you're here right now. So I ask for more of your presence in this, 
in this place in our midst, God. You say, when we're gathered, there you are with us. So Jesus, come and stand right here. Holy Spirit, come right now. I ask that you would break down any wrong views of you, any wrong thinking about who you are. Heal pain, God. Heal disappointments. Bring us into repentance, God, a new way of thinking and living. I ask that you would declare truth over us, declare our identity over us this morning. Thank you that you already have and you continue to do so. I ask that you would speak through me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So part of this message series that we're, we're starting, we're going to have people you know, share testimonies and share stories each week starting next week about walking with the Holy Spirit, stories about partnering with God. Because we want to hear not just from the teaching team, but we want to hear your stories as well. So that's going to be part of this series. And another part of the series is we want to invite you to, to each week read with us different parts in the book of Acts, different passages um, about the early church and their stories of partnering with the Holy Spirit and walking with the Holy Spirit. And so this week, write this down. I want to invite you to read Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Acts, 20, Acts 8, verses 26 to 40. Acts 8, verses 26 to 40. And today I want to open up the series with the topic, Partnering with God. We're going to look at God's original design for humanity as his first partners. We're going to look at Jesus and his bride as the redemption of all that was lost at the beginning of something new. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis, first pages of Genesis. First pages of Genesis, Genesis 1. Before the beginning of time as we know it, God existed in relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were, were community in unity. And God worked together from that place of love, declaring light and life and bringing order in the midst of emptiness, darkness, and chaos. We're picking up in Genesis 1, verse 1. It says, When God began creating the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form, desolate, a chaotic mass, and darkness covered the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving and hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke, and his word met the hovering presence of the Holy Spirit. And that light lit up the earth. It lit up the earth for the first time. In creating, God chose to expand his own internal experience of love, and we are the result of that love. We're the, ex the expression of God's love and relationship that he existed before time began. We live in a universe permeated and held by, together, with this everlasting, ever-relating love. We're, we were created from relationship for relationship. Scripture uses all sorts of imagery to talk about God's relationship to humans. 
talks about him as a father, a mother, a teacher, a king. These are all true, but there's, there's another aspect of our relationship with God that's often overlooked. Humans were created to be partners with God. Partners with God. In the very beginning of the Bible, this is the relationship that we see. God created humans to rule creation alongside of him. So let's continue reading. Genesis 1, moving down to verses 26 through 28. God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so, this is the beginning of, of, of humanity. And so we're going to jump now into chapter 2. Turn the page if you want. Chapter 2, and we're going to look at a little more detailed understanding of God creating man and what that looked like. So then now we're picking up at Genesis 2, verse 7. God formed the man of the dust, clay, mud, mortar, powder, ashes of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. Jack, can you come up here for a minute? So God takes some dirt in his hands, and he molds the dirt, <laughs> and then he gets, hopefully my breath is not bad, mm. gets, <laughs> gets face to face and breathes into his nostrils, breathes his spirit into this lump of clay that he's just fashioned with his own hands. Thanks. That's how close he is, face to face. The creator is holding his creation in his hands. And then God takes him and he places him in the garden. Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden in Eden to work it and keep it. In the Torah, when God creates, it says that he created light and heavens and separates land and seas and begins to fill it with all the stuff. It doesn't suggest that he worked and fashioned that with his own hands. It says that he spoke and those things had their being. They, like their atomic particles came together is the understanding, and they just were when he spoke. They, they came into their being, and they were fashioned and came that way. He didn't use his own hands. But when he creates humanity, he gets in there, creates it. He, he puts it together. He doesn't just speak it into existence. He creates it himself, he, and he puts himself into humanity. In Hebrew... The, the idea is that when God speaks something, when he calls it something, when he names it something, it, it becomes its definition. So think about this. When God calls Adam out of the dirt, the dirt, when he takes Adam, man, out of that and breathes into it, he gives him a few things here. Let's read about it. Amen. We see that God's intention for creating humanity was relationship. Humanity is given a handful of things that are tied together. The first thing is an identity. Image and likeness of God, designed to commune with God and be his partners on the earth. Gives him a purpose to know him and to show him, to reveal the image of God to the created order and rule with him on the earth. And he gives him a destiny, humanity a destiny. 
which is to have authority and dominion over the specific things on the earth. And then God commissions humankind. He gives them a job. Rule as I rule. Rule as God rules. Fill the earth, multiply, tend it, bring it into submission, and expand my dwelling place from the garden to the whole world. I know that sounds weird. I know that it, it, it is weird. But, you know, the Bible says it. <laughs> you know, that's, I didn't make it up. The Bible says that we are made to be God's partners. The very first thing. He came up with this idea that we would work alongside him. Not that we would work separately, beneath, or, or, or as, as slaves, but side by side, face to face, in relationship with him. God actually creates the earth with the need for a human touch. God and man were to work together to create, define, bless, and cultivate and expand God's dominion. Before the earth could flourish under God's blessing, there needed to be a man and a woman carrying that blessing out into it. God's blessing upon human, a human family comes in this deep love and desire to continue that love that he had before time began and fill the whole earth with it. And God blesses both man and woman to emp- to emp- and empowering them to live on this planet, infusing them with the power and favor to have abundant life. And humanity is created, again, to be partners with God with authority to rule with him as co-regents. God places into humanity the very creative power that he has. And we see this play out. As soon as man is created on the sixth day, the sixth period of time that man's created, God rests. So the very first thing that man gets to do is rest with God. And then God's last day of creating in this cycle becomes man's first day of creating. In Genesis 2.19, we'll see how this plays out. After God created the animals, still hot here. After God created the animals, he brought them before Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever man called the, every living creature, that was its name. As he named each animal, Adam was actually expressing the authority that God had given him. And Adam's act of naming the animals reflects God's way of declaring identity over his creation. And side interesting thing here, that, that phrase or that word to see says God brought the animals before Adam to see what he would call them. That, that phrase to see means something like to discover. So God waits, actually. He waits to see what Adam's going to do. He doesn't tell him what to do. He said, he's given him all the authority. He says, create with me. Be my partner. What are you going to tell this thing that it's going to be? What are you declaring over this thing as its definition? That creative spark is in Adam, and it's coming forth in this, in this story, in this part. God empowers a human to be genuine partners, bringing about the future. He hands over the naming of the animals because he's made Adam his partner on the earth. And so now Adam is declaring meaning. He's declaring function and identity over the animals. In the midst of Adam partnering with God, we see the most beautiful thing. God has designed this man also in need for a partner. His desire for a partner that created humanity, he also places within this man. So the creator regarded Adam's situation. He's looking at it. He, he says, you need a partner. And he says, it's incomplete. Your situation is incomplete and it's deficient. 
with, while, he's, while he's living without community, while he's, he needs a proper counterpart. And so God decides that Adam's situation is not good. So when God's, you know, making and, and putting things in creation, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And he sees Adam, that's, Adam's alone, he doesn't have a counterpart. He says, that's not good. And so what's he going to do? He's going to fashion out of Adam a counterpart. Let's read in Genesis 2.18. Then God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Therefore, I will fashion a suitable partner to be his help and strength. The words helper and suitable partner used for the woman here are in the Hebrew as text as Azar and Kenego. I think I'm saying that right. Parker, you can correct me later. Yeah. They mean helper and, and, and standing in equal, comparable, or suitable. That word, that first word, Ezar, is used for the woman, is also used um, over 20 other times in the Hebrew Old Testament, and all those other times in the Bible, it's referring to God himself. It can be translated as shield, strength, strong rescuer, lifesaver. God and woman are both lifesavers. God's choice indicates that God, that the first woman is, is, is the first line of defense and equal complementary partner in every way to, in the journey of life to Adam. The second word, comparable or suitable, refers to someone positioned, set by or alongside in order to render help, give aid, counsel, and strengthen another in their course of military as well. Military term. It indicates that the woman is man's match, literally as in front of him. What God creates here, he corresponds to Adam. She'll be his strongest ally in pursuing God's purpose in his first roadblock when he veers off course. The man needs everything that, that this global... For, to, to meet this global mission of exercising God's authority, he needs everything that she brings to the table. To fill the earth with the image, they need to work together as one. God designed Adam to need a bride, a partner for life. For the image of God to be whole and revealed. In Genesis 2.23, when Adam sees her, the creative image of God bursts forth at the sight of her beauty. And Adam declares, at last, one like me. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, my equal. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Just as God took out a portion of himself and, and his being in image and likeness and breathed it into man, he reached into the man and took a portion of Adam to sculpt the woman. If Adam is dust refined then woman is double refined, you know? Yeah. Man and woman are made to rule together in community and co-union with God over this paradise. I don't have time to read over the, the rest of the account in Genesis, but you, already pro you probably already know what happens, right? It doesn't, doesn't go as planned, necessarily. Sadly, the enemy of our souls, referred to as, as um, a flaming or shining serpent, is a rebellious spiritual being, comes bringing deception and artificial insight. And he comes using to, to use people, to violate, to manipulate, to, to deceive God's crowned creation. The serpent comes to the woman and convinces her that, that, they're, that she and her husband are lacking something, that they're not really like God, that they're not really his partners, 
that God is actually holding out on them and he doesn't want them to gain knowledge from eating of the tree of good and evil. The enemy causes her to question God. He says, did God really say that? Did God really say this? And he uses the same trick today, even, you know, with us. He uses that same trick, getting us to question God. He's saying that we're, we don't have everything that we need or, or, or that God's holding out on us. Or Did he really say that? Did he really say this? <laughs> what happens? Humanity begins to question God and actually makes up rules for themselves that God didn't even put on them. The enemy deceives and he manipulates and, he, and she believes the lie and begins to look for knowledge and authority on her own terms outside of that partnership and relationship with God. When she looks at the, the, the fruit of the knowledge of the, of the tree of good and evil, she finds it delightful and desirable to gain insight. She takes some of the fruit and she eats it and he gives, she gives some to her husband which, by the way, was with her the whole time. He didn't do anything to stop it. And he goes right along with it, and he eats it. And in doing this, they give themselves over to being used by the enemy and come under, become enslaved by the enemy. They give their authority to the enemy. The scripture says, immediately their eyes were opened, and they realized that they're naked. They're vulnerable. And they become ashamed. And for the first time, ashamed, they feel this ashamed. They operate outside of relationship a partner with God had designed for them, and they come out of his, come out from under his covering. And here's the question. Were they naked before that? They were. They didn't know it. They didn't even have an idea of being naked, what that meant. Because they were covered by God in everything that they did. It was never on their minds. So what do they do? They freak out, right? And their reaction is to actually misuse their God-given authority over the land to cover themselves. They misuse their authority to cover themselves with fig leaves. They were given authority over the land, and, and now they become subject to the thing that they were made to bring into subjection. God goes looking for them, and he finds them and asks them what has happened, like he didn't know. He asks them what happened. And we have to understand that Humanity stepped out from God's blessing when they did this. And they stepped actually into the opposite. They stepped into a curse. They sinned against God, fracturing that human divine relationship and opened the door to sin and death. And eating of the fruit of the tree of good and evil, they, they were cut off from the tree of everlasting life. This fall begins the cycles of brokenness and corruption that continue today to today. The image of God seen in man here, it's, it's down. It's now damaged. It becomes, it becomes muddy. It becomes cloudy from then on. Rather than being marked by God, they, they begin to be marked by sin. It becomes part of their identity. They become enslaved by it. And, and the partnership between, a, between man and woman as equals, working together, protecting one another, is violated and broken as well. And it, comes out, it becomes out of sync. And they become more like rivals and, and, or objects to one another to one-up one another and, and rather than working in unity as partners. Yet even in the midst of the painful interactions and breakdown in relationships here, God is not done with humanity. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> not done with humanity. He's not even done with Adam and Eve, actually. He declares that 
he will bring forth his plan of redemption through them, through her seed. Her seed will crush that serpent's head. And he does. God sends them out of the garden and says, unfortunately, this is going to be hard now. Rather than ruling and reigning as my partner on the earth from the place of paradise and my dwelling place on earth, you're going to have to work the land. And it's going to work you, and and you're going to have to search for me. It's going to be hard and painful, but I'll continue to partner with you. And you'll be my priests on the earth until one day things will be restored. We fast forward and we see Adam and Eve's children operating like priests. But sadly, the enemy has a hook in one of them. And, and deception takes over him when this son feels like he's lacking something. And what does he do? He, he re- reacts and he murders his brother. When he murders his brother, it sets off another cycle. And he's actually partnering with death itself. And humanity becomes marked by this terrible thing, using force to get our way. Um, Using, you know, when we're feeling lacking, when we're feeling like our way of life is being infringed upon, we fight back. Something that begins to mark murder, begins to mark humanity. Lying, cheating, stealing, to fill that place where humans feel like they're lacking becomes the norm. And through the next chapters of Genesis, we see these cycles continue and continue. Humans begin partnering together in wickedness to defy God. Fallen spiritual beings see this and begin to use humanity to to do their twisted plans. Use humanity to do their twisted plans on the earth. The hearts and minds of individuals, people groups, nations begin to be taken by the enemy through false offers, lies and deception, coercion, violation, sickness and disease. And in the midst of all these things, God hasn't given up. And all these things happening, God hasn't given up. He's not lost hope. I would lose hope, but he hasn't. (laughs) He's still looking. He's still searching for people who will be faithful partners to him. And through the pages of Genesis and forward, we read about humans, individuals that are partnering with God. He finds partners. And he creates he creates formal relationships with them called covenants. And I won't, I'm not going to go through all that part, but as we read the rest of the Old Testament, we read about God's individual partners from the line of Jacob, the people of Israel, through the ages, through the history. And we read that God has a desire in his heart that, that all of humanity, not just individuals, but every single person would become his partner. And he shows it time and time again. The people of Israel, again and again, also are taken by lies and deception of the enemy. And yet God continues to invite them, and they continue to derail themselves and partner with other things. And because of this, they become captive to spiritual enemies and, and literal nations around them. Again, God doesn't give up. He declares who he will be for them by declaring the many names of what he will do in every situation. He says, I have a solution. I am the solution every time. He keeps inviting. He speaks through his prophets that one day there'll there'll be an end to Israel's captivity. He's going to bring an end to these cycles that he himself will set them free and they'll be joined to him forever in a new partnership. And in the fullness of time, God sends forth his own son, a savior, not just of Israel, but the savior of the world. 
for every people group, for every race and every nation. There's a young Jewish woman named Mary who's was from the line of David, one of those covenantal things. And he partners with God in faith. She partners with God in faith. And the Spirit of God hovers over her. And she becomes pregnant with the Word of God. And his name is going to be Jesus, for he is God's salvation. And a man named Joseph, who's betrothed to Mary, partners with her and with God in faith to see this child born. He's told that this son will be the one who the prophets declared would be called Emmanuel, God with us. God gives insight to these two about who Jesus is going to be. He declares who Jesus is going to be to them. The second person of the Trinity, the Son, the Word of God made flesh. He was with God in the beginning before all things were created and through him and by him all things were made. God incarnate, God with us, God fully, fully God, fully man forever and ever the one who's promised to come and save humanity from earth, the curse and the fall, and and the consequences of the law that's broken. He's going to come and break the cycle of sin and broken relationship and bring all of humanity into full reconciliation with God. He's going to restore everything that was lost. Jesus is going to restore everything that was lost. And he comes into the world, born as a human baby, in need of human parents to partner with him. Vulnerable in need of humans to take care of him and raise him. Between Jesus' birth and his baptism, we don't know a whole lot in those, in those stages of life, but we know that he was in relationship with his father. Some level of, as a child, he knew who he was. And I believe that Mary and Joseph, to some degree, especially after their experience of finding him in the temple, they, they cultivated this in him some way, especially after finding him there as a 12, 13-year-old boy in his father's house consumed with God. And Mary treasured those things in her heart. And I'm sure that they overflowed out of her into his childhood and into adulthood. And so Jesus grows up. Before he starts his, his ministry, he spent time, years of relationship with God, being about his father's business spiritually and literally from learning Joseph's trade as a craftsman, a builder, taking the things of the earth and creating something with them. And so before he he begins his his mission and his ministry, he does something that, you know, maybe at first glance might seem strange. He purposely goes to get baptized. So he's without sin. So what is he doing? Why is he going to get baptized? Well, it says in Matthew 3 that the baptism is not for his good, but to begin the fulfillment of making all things right, to fulfill all righteousness, to bring all things into right being in right space and standing. This baptism here is multi-layered. During his baptism, baptism, Jesus is, is taken into the water, and as he comes out of the water, he's praying, communing with God, and it says that the heavenly realm above him is opened. It's torn open, and heaven and earth are overlapping in this moment. And God speaks. The Father speaks out of this place. And he said, this is my beloved son. He's defining who he is. He's revealing who he is. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and I delight in. If we have eyes to see that we can, we can understand, this is a recreating of Genesis. Of the creation story. 
beginning of the new creation. Jesus goes into the water and comes out. And heaven and earth are joined together. God speaks as, as the hovering presence of the Holy Spirit comes and rests upon the, the word with power. Jesus goes on and, and he begins moving as, as partners with the Father, doing what the Father is doing on the earth, speaking life into every space, driving demons out, driving out the, the authority that had been given to the enemy. He's now taking it back and he's walking through the land, pushing those things out, pushing disease and sickness out, pushing the enemy out. And he gives his life, his blood is poured out to enact a new covenant. And out of his, his death and resurrection, the father takes him and he, and he puts him to sleep. The sleep of death. And out of his side, a, a new partner comes forth, a bride. It says his, his side is pierced after he died. And blood and water flows. And, and out of that place, a bride is born. New creation is born. You and I, not one person, not two people here and there, a whole nation and a whole people now, the sons, the children, and the, the sons and daughters of God, the children of God, now become His partners in a new partnership. This is the family that you and I are part of, and we're destined to be part of. God's partner on earth, Jesus' bride, co-heir, releasing God's kingdom on the earth, ruling and reigning together. We are His children. We get to enter into our eternal destiny now. Worship band, you guys can come up. In opening the series, I want to encourage you that discovering and rediscovering and understanding that walking in the fullness of this calling to be God's partner, it's vital. It's our purpose and destiny. The key to doing this is with and by the Holy Spirit. Next week, I'll go into more things I couldn't go into today. But Jesus said the Holy Spirit, he's our teacher. He sends him as our teacher, our guide, our living helper. He's a breath of life, of new creation. He's the indwelling presence of God. He brings us into everything that Jesus has done for us. He transforms us from the inside out. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come right now. We want to walk with you every day, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you sent another helper to us. One that would upgrade us, one that would bring us into this fullness of life and into our eternal destiny to reign with you, God. Show us what that means, God.